On today's episode of the Muni Lot Junkards, we will be joined by our bandwagon fan correspondent, Sal Ritas, a.k.a. Big Bundy. We'll also dive into the idea, are the Indians saving Tito Francona from himself? Mike Florio churns the pot with Baker Mayfield. It's another draft, the top three changes you want to see in the MLB, and the ways for the Browns to win and lose the first round of April's NFL draft. That's all coming up on the show, but here we go. A swing and a pop-up. First base side foul ground playable. Perez, Santana, Santana makes the catch. Ball game. The Indians have won the American League pennant. And Cleveland, for the sixth time ever, you will have a World Series. Colquitt Asimov, you're ready. This is to win it. Snap is back. Ball down. The kick on the way. Line drive. The kick is good. With two seconds left in overtime, the Browns have won it! A line drive that almost had yellow paint on it as it went over the crossbar! 18 strikeouts for Corey Kluber. Blew it right by him. Here we go. Fourth down and 10 at the 50-yard line. In the backfield, Booker will be the running back. On the left hip of Keenum, two receivers right, two left, Lacoste in motion. On fourth down, Keenum waits, takes the snap, he bobbles it, stumbles, he got hit, he got sacked! He got sacked! Peppers! Peppers got him! He got him! Peppers got him! Pour a little pepper on it! The Browns are going to win it! Today is Monday, February 4th, 2019. Muni Lot Junkards, CB, Zach Metzl, and possibly a guest on the way. Don't want to spoil it yet, even though the intro did, but... We have some good stuff lined up for him down the line, but we have to start with every episode. It seems like, especially in the spring, we got to start out with the Indians and what are we going to expect come next month, especially in the middle of spring training? Like, what are we expecting in this next month? What do we expect to see? And a lot of it's tied into a lot of headlines that happens in the offseason. A lot of what was tied in from last year, what's heading into this year, and a lot of what we weren't thinking about. Yeah, there's this article from Let's Go Tribe, author was Matt Lyons, he had a pretty good position that we've thought about in seasons past, but maybe not so much in the offseason, is the are the Indians saving Tito from himself? And more specifically, are they saving him from starting old washed up veterans when they should be getting the young guys Time, service time and preparation and actually get them the experience they need to play at an everyday level. Zach, I wanted to get your opinion on this just without even going in-depth on the article right now. What is your stance on that that position, that saving Tito from himself of starting guys that are over the hill? I, I think it's a very uh, very smart decision. Um, I mean, obviously, we Tito, over the course of the last few years, he's made some very... Uh, Personnel, he's made some personnel changes that, to me, have been uh, semi-questionable. Um, I mean, I can't argue with some of the results that we've gotten, but then we haven't gotten all the results that we wanted, that being a World Series championship. Uh, so I think it is time to change something up, and uh, I think getting the 30-year-old veterans uh, to plug and play, uh, I don't think that, that, uh, that, that has, it's been working for us and that we will win our division, but it has not gotten us to the promised land. See, I, I want to read this little excerpt from the article itself. So he says, Mike Avila's 
coming to the plate 30, 335 times from 2013 to 2015. Melky Cabrera consistently taking at-bats away from Greg Allen. That is the biggest one that I can recall because while I thought Melky had his moments, Greg Allen is a he's a key part to the future of this team. He's I mean, he's what you want in terms of on the base path. He's a he's a natural center fielder. He can range all over the outfield. Great fielder. We need to develop his bat though. That's the biggest thing. Taking at-bats consistently on a consistent basis from Allen. I mean, I think I think you can say that about any of our uh, any of our young guys, uh, just our entire team. I mean, you look at our batting averages; everyone needs work on that. Sure, absolutely. But it's just like I th- I think more of a sense of these young guys that you know, Greg Allen made his real come up during the big win streak two seasons ago. Right. That's where he kind of made his imprint on the major league team, and you you know you're working towards this if you're going cheap with the outfield. Then you need to take it. You need to go in this direction of getting that young talent up because you have lo- you have control for several years with these guys. I mean, I was just looking at. I was preparing for the show. Jordan Luplo, that I love so much, that I've been diagnosing so far. He's controlled until 2024. So you might as well, if you're going in that direction, you might as well when he gets in, whether it's platooning him or whether it's making him an everyday guy, he needs those reps. Right. Yeah, no, I, I I completely agree, and I mean the only way you get better is by just going out there performing on the major league stage. I mean you're not going to get the kind of experience if we send them down to Columbus, have them be there, or for anyone. Like you're not playing in Huntington Park is completely different. As beautiful as it is, it's completely different than Progressive Field. You're only going to get better at a major league level playing at the major league level. Yeah, I also wanted to add this point. So he was talking about in the article, uh, you know, it would be easy for Antonetti to just say, you know blanket and go sign Bryce Harper for whatever he's asking for. You know, it would be easy as that. And it'd also be easy just plucking down some money for guys like Adam Jones, Austin Jackson, or even a Melky Cabrera again. But he's kind of getting this sense from Antonetti of what he's been saying in the media that he's he's okay with turning it over to these young guys instead of player X or veteran Y. You name the guy that's on the market right now that you could stick in your lineup today. He's okay with going forward with it. Here's a quote from Chris Antonetti. He said, we feel it's important element to provide young players an opportunity to contribute at a major league level. We feel that there are places on our roster, whether that is in the bullpen, the back of our rotation, or even our position player club, that some young players will take advantage of the opportunities in front of them. That is the quote in this offseason that makes me feel like we would not see any major drastic changes until the trade deadline at the earliest. And you know what? I'm starting to be comfortable with that idea. You know, I, I mean, I am too. Um, cause I mean, like I said, it's all about just getting the young guys at bats. The young, the young guys are our future, uh, as we go through this, uh, this rebuilding process. Um, so I, I honestly just think giving them as much experience as possible and then, okay, seeing what needs we have then at the trade deadline. I mean, I can already take a nice guess that it's going to be bullpen. It's going to be the outfield. Um, just cause that's what our issues are now in this, this off season, uh, so I I feel like it's still going to be that, but I mean I'm more okay with um, more okay with uh, just plugging in players, going out and getting someone at that point in time because we know exactly what we need. The young guys will have had more than half the season so to show us where they're at so far. So I'm 100 fine with that. And I think this is a position that I've changed in the past couple of weeks because I know there's two different sides of the fan base right now. One that notices that a rebuild, and while it might be minor, is currently in the process. Mm-hmm. While you're still competing, and there's a sector of the fan base that believes 
your window's so open. Why can't you win the World Series now? Why aren't you going for it? Why aren't you paying so-and-so for this guy, so-and-so for that guy? There's two separate sides, and that's okay, whichever one you're on. But I think it is safe to agree upon, we can all agree upon, that you're in this position where you're still competitive and you have a, a, an advantage in your division, where you have the opportunity to take these chances to develop guys while competitive. Not many teams in our position could say that. Yeah, no, I, I think both sides of that, uh, if you're on either side, I think you're both correct in that. Because, uh, yeah, I do feel like we're starting to rebuild, which is fine. But then also, too, our window is still open and that our division is so weak. So, I mean, we all know anything can happen in October baseball. We all know that. So, I mean, it's just if you get to there to that point, then maybe something magical can happen like happened in 2016 where we somehow made it to Game 7 of the World Series on three pitchers. And, yeah, and half absolutely. And half of Trevor Bauer's pinky. It also helped that you had a pretty solid bullpen, and Cody Allen was not the Cody Allen of 2018 that year. Correct. Yeah, no, and same with uh, same with Andrew Miller. Uh, Kluber hasn't really been the same since then either. <laughs> since he gave up a home run to Granddaddy Ross. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna see that. My, I'm gonna see that in hell. <laughs> but no, honestly, and this is where now that I've started to develop this, and honestly, since the last show, I've started to become more open to this, and this idea of you can. You can rebuild in the process of competing. And that's why I'm okay with parting ways with Corey Kluber. I know there's still quiet talks going on up until spring trading of maybe getting a deal done for him. And at this point, looking at our depth, I mean, you're telling me you ship off Corey Kluber and your number five, you slide up in there as Adam Plucko? That's not that bad. No, You no, think about it. Not at all. I, I mean, it really isn't that bad. And to think you could get some guys that are MLB ready right now, while they might be in the minors, they're ready to start day one. Right. Uh, thinking off of the top of my head, I can think of Taylor Trammell, the outfielder that's currently in the Red Sox organization. Guys like him, Jonathan India, their recent draft back in 2018, guys that could theoretically get to the majors pretty fast, pair it with maybe a pick or so, and trade it for Corey Kluber and, I don't know, somebody that's an expiring contract like your Jason Kittness of the world. Oh, please. Something like that. Like, get these guys that are up and coming, and uh, they could even make an impact this year. India might not. He'd probably be well-deserved to be in the minors right now. But Trammell, if you get him up, he's a, he's starting in your outfield every single day. Right. I'm confident. That, I mean, he won the MVP of the Futures game back at the All-Star game last year. Like, he's that good. Mm -hmm. Uh yeah, no, I, I'm totally warming up to the idea of maybe you can ship off these older guys. Well, they did a lot for you, and I, I'm forever grateful for whatever you want to consider the legacy of Corey Kluber. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like that is the mantra, rebuild in a competitive year. Right. And I, honestly, I feel like we can even do that. It doesn't even have to be now in the offseason. We can see where things are and uh, maybe make a move at the trade deadline that would include uh, Kluber. I know that would uh, somewhat be detrimental to our rotation, but like I said, we got all the young guys. Uh, we got Plutko, plug him, plug him in at five. And honestly, I would argue that Kluber's not even your ace at this point. Um, I mean, I I'd throw uh, Bauer up there with uh, as well as uh, Cookie Carrasco. I mean, I think both of those guys are just as good as Kluber. Um, so yeah, no, I I'm one percent fine. Uh, and honestly, too, I would say this: this is a little bit of a uh, loser mentality. Things we're in this position trying to figure out what we're doing because we can win the division while rebuilding. If we were, if we were, 
um, like third, fourth place in the division, then this may that would make everything so much easier. Because then you just trade Kluber, trade Bauer, get a bunch of prospects, and just do a nice, quick little rebuild. Uh, but I think just being in the position that we are, being a good team while still trying to rebuild, uh, that makes our decisions so much more difficult. Yes, I and going back to the topic of getting old veterans coming in and replacing the young guys in the starting lineup, that is true for the most part with a lot of these guys like Amelki Cabrera, Austin Jackson, a Carlos Gonzalez from the Rockies. But I don't think it always applies. I know there's a guy specifically out there that I just mentioned before the show to you that I would like on the roster. He's he's a utility guy at best. I mean, that's what you would call him. He can play all the infield spots except maybe first base, and then he can play all the off, outfield spots. Uh, that name would be Marwin Gonzalez, the former utility guy for the Houston Astros. He's going to be 30 this year, and I don't really know if you could say he's not affordable. I mean, last year in 2018, he was only making about five million bucks. Yeah. I mean, that, I, that that would plug in. That has the potential to plug a lot of holes, and that's not that expensive, especially considering we're paying uh, an unnamed player that hasn't produced as well uh, near 14, 15 million. So I, <laughs> right. Who can only really play one position? We try. Tito tries to make him a utility guy, uh, but doesn't necessarily work out as well. So I, I'm one percent fine. I think that'd be a the great pickup. He could has the potential to plug a lot of holes. Yeah, I I think of it as two two different ways. You can either start him every single day in left field, which although he's not used to that as much, so I would be a little bit concerned. He could platoon with the likes of a Tyler Naquin. I'm sorry, in right field, you'd put Luplo over in. Uh, left field. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can either do that and platoon with him over in, in right field, or you can just use him as a utility guy all the way around. He can start all the positions, just you know, different day, different spot, and then he can also put pressure on Jason Kipnis. Now, this is where you put your. I don't know what it would cost the Indians to potentially cut Jason Kipnis, but if you're putting pressure on him, especially you bring him in the spring trading, put him in at second base and say, "Hey, Jason." Go in your spot this year because the 229 you were hitting last year isn't going to cut it. That would be interesting. Yeah. No, I, I think it would be good because I, like, um, I feel like some players are just at the point where they're just kind of resting on their past laurels. Uh, and, I mean, that happens. Like, you're going – you don't make your money when you're playing your best. You make your money after you played your best because you've shown what you can do. So, I mean, a lot of players, like – as they get older in age, their uh, statistics will start to decline. But then your uh, your contract money will uh, often increase, though. So, I, I mean, I feel like that's that's the way it should be. But then also, if you're getting money and you're still playing and you're only hitting 230, you have zero competition. You have zero drive to get better besides your personal pride. And right now, I don't. I would I would say that Jason Kipnis's personal pride hasn't really done a whole lot for him, uh, considering that he's only hitting 230. I mean, Grant, he did pick up the second half of the season last year. We'll give him that. Um, but I mean, then again, it's also hard to stay as bad as he was in the first half of the season. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he hasn't been the same since his injury issues back in 2017, which is fair to say. I mean, as much as you hate the guy, love the guy, that did have an effect on his career to this point since that point. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. But I also don't think it's an excuse for how he started last year, if that makes sense. Like, it had, I mean, I gave him a pass in the second half of 2017. I thought whatever he was going through was enough, and he tried to make the comeback, and it just wasn't working out for him. 2018, I thought, okay, we're getting arrested, more, you know, prepared Jason Kipnis coming into that year. 
and he just didn't turn it out. But I, I want to move into, for the final part of the segment, I want to dive into just what we have currently on our roster in terms of the outfield and decipher what do we expect. And I don't necessarily want to look at it as how are they going to platoon guys. What is your best lineup? Like, what are, If you had to pick three outfield, outfielders in Game 7 of the World Series on this roster, who are you going with? Uh, quick uh, qualifying question. Are we, uh, are we counting Zimmer being back or are we excluding him? Okay, let's do opening day and then the World Series because that, that's fair. No, that's a fair question because he's not going to be back until about July, I think I heard. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be midseason. And then uh, is that just for baseball activity or is that... That might be. So honestly, you don't know at this point. So let's treat him like he's out of the equation right now. But if we get him back, he's a, he's a solid piece of our rotation in the outfield. Right. For sure. Yeah, yeah, no, he's definitely uh, definitely an important but part. But he needs to improve that bat, and that is why he is the prime example of why I've been on Ty Ber- Van Berkeleo since, honestly, since the World Series, but more importantly because of Bradley Zimmer's, what, he, he struck out in how many, or was consecutive outs in, like, what, 41 plate appearances? It was yeah, something it was, along the lines of yeah. that. It was an insane number. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, he if he can develop a bat and hit above, I mean, Get me above 240 and I'll be happy with him because he gets on base and he's stealing bases and he's getting us runs in areas that we're not expecting it with the likes of losing a guy like Rajay Davis. Yeah. But dive into this outfield. Who are you looking at? I mean, it's pretty thin right now. Yeah. Who are we looking to? Uh, right now, let's all go with opening day first. I'll have uh, Leonis Martin in, uh, in center. I'll have uh, Greg Allen in right. And then I, I want to see what Luplo can do in left. Yeah, I I just have a quick question. What do you think about this guy we got from the Cardinals in the offseason? Or, I'm, I'm sorry, last year, do you think he can make his way up? It was around trade deadline day. We got Oscar Mercado from the Cardinals in exchange for Connor Capel and John Torres. Now, he spent a lot of time in the minors, but is that someone you would like to see eventually work his way up? Or do you I'm- think we're, it's, we're maybe a year too early on him? I mean, I think as with anything, uh, I think it just all depends on the players in front of him, uh, and then what he can do, what he can produce in the the minor league level. If we have guys just struggling to put the bat on the ball, making defensive errors in the outfield, I, then obviously I'm fine with cycling guys up. I don't I don't care how many times you have to call someone up, send them down. If we don't have, like, I would give like the our first uh, first set of guys, I'd give them a month. And see where everything's at, and then after that, then I'm fine with making moves if uh, things aren't producing. Because um, I mean, it's that's that's the beauty of having. Uh, if you have a lot of unproven younger guys, then just keep. I you want to cycle them uh, if they're not able to produce. I mean, I understand that's uh, that makes things hard if you can't like get into a rhythm or anything like that. Uh, but I, I I think it is important though. I, you, you just want to get as many guys as many at, at bats as possible. Uh, get them in as many games as possible and see what they can actually uh, see what they can actually do on a major league level. You know, the more I look at this guy's stats, the more I'm kind of intrigued. If the, could this guy be an X player or the X factor coming into the season in the outfield mix? So he spent 100 games with AAA Memphis, the affiliate with the Cardinals. He was batting about 285, on base percentage around 351, uh, OPS around 759. So he's he's a pretty He's above average in terms of at bat in the triple triple A level, so I'm a little bit excited for him. He's a young guy; he's only 24. Uh, when he came over to Columbus, he played in 32 games, uh, was batting 252 on base percentage around 342. So again, he 
just looking at those numbers based off the what I'm looking at right now, it almost kind of mirrors what Tyler Naquin was doing early on when he came with the Indians and what he was doing when he was down with the Clippers. Yeah. Could you agree? Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. And then, like I said, you never know what exactly, what kind of major league player you have until you actually play them in the major leagues. You could be uh, just a very average AAA player. You can be a really good average or a really good AAA player. But if you can't produce at the major league level, you're just the same because you're both. You're going to be down at AAA. It doesn't matter. Uh, it just all depends on if you can handle uh, handle all the the cross country travel. You can handle the bright lights, the faster pitching, um, and then just honestly, it's just about getting at bats, that kind of thing. All right. I just got the message. He is in the building. When we come back, bandwagon correspondent Big Bundy will be in. Media lot, junkards. CB, Zach Metzel. Before I bring on our next guest, our first ever guest, actually, I just want to give you a little bit of a background. We give him a lot of crap. Because he happens to have a lot of favorite teams across the nation. A lot of them that happen to be good right around the time he picked them. But Zach, I don't know. Before we bring him on, I don't know if you just want to give a little bit of your own introduction or what do you what do you think of this next man we're bringing on? Uh, Bundy is a uh, Bundy's a character. Uh, very fast talking. I'm glad Colin has the ability to slow down his voice so you can actually understand uh, understand some of his uh, hot takes. Um and then I'm very curious for all of our listeners to hear how exactly uh, you became fans of your uh, of your teams. Because honestly, I, I need a nice refresher course. Touching me, touching you. And we welcome on our special guest. The one and only Big Bundy. Welcome on, my man. How are you doing today? I'm good, buddy. How are you? <laughs> oh, we're just living a life over here. So give everybody a little bit of a refresher so we can just understand who you are. Why are you the way you are? Why <laughs> did you pick the teams you chose? Just so you can get your own side of the story. Listen, Boston Boston Red Sox, got to be a big fan of those. <laughs> Mom went to BC, so that's our Boston Red Sox. Uh, New Orleans Saints, you know, I visited there when I was really young. Fell in love with the city back then. Always love the city. Uh, it's a great place to visit. I recommend if you haven't been there. Got on there from Mardi Gras. Um, what else? I mean, Georgetown. I went to Georgetown Law School, so I like Georgetown <laughs> basketball. But, you know, I'm a Creighton grad, so I got to up the Blue Jays whenever I can. I mean, Ohio State, I am from Columbus, so I like the football team. That's not really a bandwagon thing, but they like to think so it is. <laughs> I mean, listen, it's not my fault. The Browns just continually have been poor. Oh, hold, hold on, hold on, slow down. Define poor. No, Zach, Zach, I think I heard someone talk like this earlier this week. I was on YouTube. I didn't know where I was. I got down this wormhole. But what you were just saying there sounds a lot like what I just heard from College Humor the other day. Boston Red Sox, man. That's my team. I thought you liked the New York Yankees. Yeah. I love the Yanks. How can you like the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox? It's the greatest rivalry in sports history. Two amazing teams playing one amazing sport, baseball. I love baseball. 
ball. Right, but people are territorial about sports, man. That's what makes them fun. Oh, yeah, don't get me wrong. I got hometown pride. I was born and raised in Evanston. That's why I got to rock my Blackhawks gear. <laughs> my mom's from Kansas City, so I'm repping them Chiefs. And I just moved to California, so you know I got to respect the Los Angeles Clippers. And, of course, Los Angeles Lakers, baby. And who could forget the Golden State Warriors? I don't know, Zach. Does that sound like him to me? Uh, no, that's that's terrible. That's, <laughs> I don't know where you found that. I mean, you might have made that up by yourself last night. You're going no, with that no, 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 absolutely not. Yeah, uh, you're going with that computer machine. I don't know how to use that thing. So you probably made it up last night. I'm sure. All right. Well, we have you here for a reason. We want you to join the last three segments of our show, and we want to start off with this new topic. It's, I don't know if clickbait's the right word, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. You give me your thoughts. It's Mike Florio throats floats out the idea that Baker Mayfield to Patriots could be a scenario in the future when he clears his contract obligations with the Browns. Probably a smart move if I was Baker Mayfield, I'm just saying. All right, first thing, you come on this show, you can't trash one of the two teams that it's centered around. Hey, hey I'm just saying. But hey, it's... go ahead. Hey, uh, listen, all good things go to, go to Patriots anyway. Bill Belichick, Cleveland, went to Patriots. Baker, mm, Patriots, probably win more Super Bowls. What about Josh Gordon? He went to the Patriots. Hey, he had, hey, hey, hey. That's mental illness. Come on now. Be nice. We'll get to him on a later date. But I just want your opinion right now. What is your thoughts on such a high figure like Mike Florio throwing out ideas like this, especially about a team on the other side of it who has suffered since they came back to the city? Listen, Baker's not leaving Cleveland. He's a huge staple there. He's got that mentality of underdog mentality. He wants to fight. I mean, look at the – for God's sake, he went to Oklahoma, and Oklahoma was bad and turned him into a great program. I mean, between Baker Mayfield, Lincoln Riley, Baker staying in Cleveland. He loves the animosity. He loves the fight. He's a pit bull trying to trying to make his way out. He fits the city, he fits the city awesomely. And I honestly, just going through this article, I think it's completely ludicrous. Uh, I just don't see – I mean, okay, his rationale for this was, okay, in five, six years, Baker's contract will be up. Tom Brady will probably have retired by then. Yeah, let's, even... not, let's not assume anything. Tom Brady. But hey, here's another way to look at it. You carry what you just said, the five years or so, what a first right. round pick gets. You also have to consider that the Browns are in a situation where they feel like if he's not re-signing, they're going to say, you know what, whatever. We're going to sign or put you on the franchise tag for the two three years. So that's seven years into his tenure with the Browns. He'll be 30 by the time he's a free agent at that point. Right, yeah. And so I, I honestly don't see that happening. I feel like there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of assumptions that are going on here. Uh, another re another reason uh, why he was floating out uh, Baker to the Patriots was that uh, the Patriots were uh, interested in Baker before the draft last year. There was even some ideas talked about that the Patriots are actually even going to trade up substantially in the draft to get Baker. Obviously, that did not happen, uh, and we don't know exactly uh, if that's true or not, but. Uh, I, I just find that that's it's very uh, weak reasoning to make a very grand assumption like that. I, th I think what you said was a good way to describe it. It's more of a clickbait uh, clickbait title for this article. Also, you got to remember, here's one thing that people forget about. This year, this draft, I predict the Patriots are going to go ahead and draft Kyler Murray from Oklahoma, and he'll go ahead and be the next uh, Tom Brady anyway. So, but how are you? They picking? won't need Baker. Okay. Before we go off onto a side subject like that, let's finish this first. Uh, <laughs> I, I find it interesting because it's, it's a big headline, but when you read the article more itself and what Florio said on this WEEI show, uh, 
it's more of a I wouldn't be surprised if it happens, but you know, it, he's not predicting is what I'm saying. It's more so it's it's this journalistic idea of someone says something along the lines of something and then they put it out as a headline like Mike Florio says possibility Baker goes to the Patriots hey, after his contract's over. It's clickbait in this day and age. I mean that's how clickbait works this this day and age. Sure. A little a little truth gets you to click right on it. I mean the story is what it is. But uh I don't see Baker leaving Cleveland anytime soon. I, I yeah, I, I mean well st- contract wise, if he's not traded, yeah. He's I mean he's around for I at mean, least another six years. They guaranteed. trade him. They trade him. They're just that's just problems. <laughs> I mean, it, it wouldn't make any sense though. You know what I'm saying? So I'd, I'd, I'd agree. They're not allowed to trade him and make the Browns bad until the Indians uh, complete the rebuild. That, that's how good. <laughs> only one, only one sports team can be good in Cleveland at the time. We had the Cavs for a few years there with uh, LeBron. And there was the Indians, and then, uh, then uh, now it's now it's the Browns. Now I think this is a fair way to end the conversation. We can go in the direction of what you said with Kyler Murray. Why do you think a team so pre- precise on how they draft, how they operate, would take a guy that's not even committed to the combine yet? Like, how could you say that as of today? Listen, you see, he's got he's got great talent, great arm strength. He's that kind of quarterback that transcends a program. I'm not saying it's a, it's a guaranteed deal that he even wants to play football in, in long in the long term future. But the you know the Pats probably gonna draft 32nd overall. Um, I could see him taking a chance, say let's let's pick this guy. If he plays football for us, we'll be we'll be a great team. I mean, it's a system quarterback over there with Belichick. Yeah, throw five yard passes and click an all star every year. So. He can do that for sure. I mean, the first the first round of the NFL draft and the first round of the MLB draft are drastically different. Don't get that mistaken. Definitely. So if you're taking him in the first round, you are sold that he is coming to play with you because you don't want... I, whenever I think of this scenario, I want to go back to the year when Eloy was drafted and he was deciding between baseball and football. And what would have happened to the Broncos if he would have decided to go play baseball? And I, I believe he was drafted by the Yankees, if I'm correct. I think so. With the Yankees? Yeah, so what would have happened to that franchise? They would have set them back probably at least a decade, if yeah. not more. Yeah. Because they, I, what was it, the top, the number one overall pick? It was something like that, yeah. Yeah, so you're taking the number one overall pick, and you're investing it in a guy that's going to go play a different sport and never see a down with you? I understand there's a difference between number one and number 32, but that's still a huge, that, that, that that's huge capital. You're investing in somebody that's just turn it away. I think if any team is uh, qualified to make a take a risk like that, though, it, it definitely would be the Patriots, especially at quarterback position. Because I mean, yeah, Tom Brady is forty plus years old, and he's playing for a Super Bowl today. Sure. So I, I mean, uh, you're completely comfortable. Like, okay, yeah, it, it would be unfortunate to not to lose your first overall pick or not for, your first round pick, but I mean, they're they're set for it. They have such a they have such a culture of winning there. That okay, if it doesn't fan out, then they can just go out and get someone else, plug them into their system, and it'll be it'll work perfectly. That's just the way it's been with them. Here's my concern though, because the Patriots are one of these teams where they need to hit on a quarterback next to consider to continue their line of success. Now, I'm not saying he can replicate what Brady was doing, but if you want to keep up at the high level, they need that seamless transition, which I thought they had in Jimmy Garoppolo. The only issue was is they did it a couple years too early. Well, and Garoppolo uh, has gotten hurt, too, so he hasn't proven that he can stay healthy, which I think, again, was an okay— and, and the like, you don't know that when you make the when you make the trade to the 49ers, but, I mean, at the end, it seemed like it worked out for them because now they don't have to deal with a— say they did plug in Garoppolo, and then he— two straight seasons getting hurt, and then he was with the Patriots. 
And then, okay, you're set back even more. So I, in the end, it worked out for them that they got rid of Garoppolo since he seems to have an injury issue. I mean, but get to this point. I mean, the Patriots, they got, they got staff that they make great picks year after year after year. If they miss this year with Kyler Murray, I believe that next year they'll come back and make, make a great pick. And there's quarterbacks left over. I mean, you got James Fields coming out probably in two years out of Ohio State. You got the kid from uh, Clemson that you might be able to pull out if you can trade up to get him. I mean, I don't, I don't expect him to be bad anytime soon. So that's kind of a tough one to get Trevor Lawrence over there. But there are great quarterbacks still have to pick up later in a couple of years. Here's my thing. If you're a team outside the top 10 and you feel like you're going to be QB needy in the next, I don't know, year or two, you're in trouble this year. I mean, there's no guy in this class coming in I, outside of maybe Haskins. And even that, it's he's only had one year of experience. Right. So you're talking about a class that's not very good. And for teams that need a quarterback now, it's scary to think about. You know, hey, a kid from Duke's they, pretty good, though. A kid not, from Duke and Missouri, pretty good. We're not good going into that. We're not going into that. No. We, <laughs> I want to say the point is, is that this is a year where if you're QB needy, it's okay to go with a different position of need and turn and thinking of it of going into 2019 2020 of going to get a quarterback in next year's draft which should be packed with talent. That's true. That's true. And then if you want to look even past that, another year past that, you got Trevor Lawrence coming in. That's going to be a great pick to pick up in a couple years. I mean, whoever gets him, that it's almost going to feel like the John Elway year. Definitely. I mean, that's a, that's a for fire for sure pick. Guaranteed winner. Guy knows how to win ball games. And if you are, uh, if you are a team that is a quarterback needy too, like there's enough, there's enough veteran quarterbacks out there that you can just plug in. Uh, you you don't yeah. ha- you don't have to take a quarterback uh, in the draft if if it's not your guy, it's not your guy. Like we we saw that more times than anyone should ever see in their lifetime with the Browns. How many y'all have this? Sh- how many y'all have? Uh, Baker was what twenty nine. It's upper tw- bigger is the upper twenties for uh, different starting quarterbacks since nineteen ninety nine. It, I know Johnny was twenty one. I I, I want to say probably it's, around like more like twenty four, twenty five. Uh, we've had a few more since Johnny. <laughs> John, uh, John Johnny's been what four or five years? Now that you think about it, it's it's getting close to that. But that's besides the point. What what I'm trying to say is is that well, also to go on on a tangent. There was a report from ESPN the other day. I think it was from Schefter that uh, the Eagles are going to franchise yeah, Foles in hopes to trade him. And so a third-round pick. Is, uh, there's a lot of teams that are QB needy that could punt on a quarterback this year, trade for Foles. But th- would it make sense for the Patriots to say, hey, you know what, let's get our guy in waiting. Let's go get Foles and say, hey, Brady's done in so many years. And maybe he's done in after next season. Maybe he's done after the season after that. That's risky. That's... Uh, you would only make that trade, in my opinion, if you knew that Brady was done either after this Super Bowl or after the following year. I think Brady's done in two years. And if that's the case, do you feel comfortable? You come in, you do almost like a sign-and-trade uh, sign type of scenario. You see it more in basketball, but you could see it in the NFL with the like of a force. Yeah. Listen, Nick Foles, though, I think he's like, what, 29? He's getting up in there yeah, in age. I, I believe he'll be 30 by the next so, calendar year. I mean, there's a question, though, if you're Pat, the old Pats. You want to go ahead and trade for a third-round pick, pick him up, have him wait two years, and then come in only 32. take a third? Yeah, they want, they want a third-round pick for him. Really? Wow. A third That's round a steal. Pick. Oh, my gosh. Third-round yeah, third pick round for pick. a former Super Bowl MVP. They want a third-round pick for him. 
Wow. That's what I, so think of the teams. Report. I mean, you'll, you'll see teams like, I, I honestly wouldn't even be surprised to see that number go up just because teams are going to think that's low and bid high. I could easily see a second-round pick from Jacksonville go in there. Oh, for and sure. And say, hey, come on, Nick. We'll take you. We got a lot of talent. Now, we need to get some more receivers, but, you know, we have a defense that we could set up and go for a run. Listen, I could see Nick Foles ended up over there at the Cardinals, too. The Cardinals with Josh Rosen? Uh, Josh Rosen needs a little time to develop. I think that you pick him up for two years. Uh, you know, he's he's an Arizona guy. I, I don't think you trade for Nick Foles and thinking he's just a two-year bridge guy. No, if, any, if anything, the Cardinals would get like a Tyrod Taylor in the offseason, sign him and make him like a bridge guy. No, no, they need somebody that can mentor Josh Rosen. He's just too raw. Nick Foles got that, has that mentality. He can mentor him, get him right for two years. I will say Tyrod seemed to do uh, seem to have done a good job of mentoring uh, mentoring Baker. <laughs> we were talking about the tweet earlier. The guy that tweets in all caps saying if oh John Dorsey sits uh, Baker just like uh, the Kansas City Chiefs did with Patty Mahomes, Tyrod Taylor's a Pro Bowler and we win ten games. Like, <laughs> well, what? <laughs> Wait, what was this? There, there was a there was someone in the fan base that was tweeting some nonsense this morning, but. No, this was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Next segment we're coming up, we're going to do our draft. Bundy gets his first experience with the Muni Lot Junkards fantasy-style draft. It's draft time. The MLG draft, fantasy-style. You heard it last week. We went Brown-centric. This week, we're not necessarily going Indian-centric. We're going more MLB-centric. I'm excited for this draft. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Bundy, you were just brought to the attention of the definition of what we're you know deciding on. Right. Um, because you're the new guest, I think we'll give you the opportunity to pick heads or tails between you two. To see who goes first, because I'll go third. You know, I, I, because I'm the host, I feel it's my civic duty to let you two go. Oh well, then I'll. You know what, ladies first over there, Zach. Go ahead and no, go first. No, no, heads or tails. In the spirit of the Super <laughs> hey, Bowl. Hey, listen, you always pick tails, boy. Always pick tails. Tails. Oh, it's heads. Let's Sorry, go. Zach. Let's go. It's all you. Uh, before we get started, all right, Zach. It's your call. All right. For my first pick that I want to, uh, first change I want to see happen to Major League Baseball, it's going to involve the uh, the postseason. So I think everyone would agree that uh, October baseball is the most exciting baseball. So currently the way that the end of the season is formatted is the season ends on Sunday. That next Monday is tiebreakers and the wild a single wild card game for each league is on Tuesday and Wednesday. I'm proposing a best two of three series for the wild card. I didn't was not a fan in 2012 when the Indians lost their uh, the one game death match against the Rays, and I just think uh, why not just have two out of three? It's the only it's the only game in MLB postseason that isn't a series, so why not make it two out of three? So I say end the season on Saturday, have Sunday for tiebreakers. Monday and Tuesday is, is game one. Tuesday and Wednesday will be games two and three double headers if necessary, and then it's just all at the higher seed location, so you don't have to eliminate travel. I like the idea, but I, I, I'm just concerned about usage. Is is that a concern in your your structure that you're implementing? Is that a concern for teams that have to do the two, possibly three-game series right there and then go into uh, the next round, the divisional round? Win the division. 
Listen, but you got to. But you, 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 got, you, you got four. You got five starters. On, on, I, mean, I mean, let's talk about it though, because we're talking about teams that could be depending on their bullpens. You know that we're talking about the Brewers last year. That's how they won in the postseason. That's how they got their wins. They started Wade Miley against the Dodgers and then brought him out after the first batter or oh. was the first pitch. Yeah, like, I think it was the first you, pitch. You're gonna make those teams suffer. I don't know if that's necessarily fair to them, but then I I, I also see your argument. It's not fair to the team that loses just a single game. You right. 162 comes down to one. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And then like also too though, I think it would also benefit teams like uh, like the Rays. The Rays had started off the year with one starting pitcher. And then they'd started the rest of their games. They uh, they would then just have relief pitchers. They'd have bullpen games, and they had the the fifth best record in the American League. They the only reason they Which did is really, it's not even talked about. Yeah, they they had a better record than the Indians, division winning Indians, third place in the division. Rays were not in the playoffs just because of their division, which is absolutely ludicrous. And like I said, they they started off the year with one starting. One starting pitcher, and then I think they developed into. I think they have like two and a half starting pitchers now. Well, they would. What they would do is they would. They would start their bullpen guy. Right. Their specialist first, and bring a starter in the second inning. So your specialist gets. So they shorten the game base. So what they're doing is shortening the game. Yeah. So they had Chris Archer that would go eight innings usually on on the as their ace, and they would bring in the bullpen guy to start the game, and bring in your original starter, to face usually four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, mm-hmm. and turn it over. And he'd probably come on the eighth inning, and they bring in their closer. So they just kind of changed the game up. I mean, the Rays, what they did was they realized they didn't have any dominant pitching after Chris Archer. So what they do is they put the specialist guys in first, let the specialists go, and then from there, you make the best of what the best of the worst situation you have. All right, yep. Bundy, your first one. Go ahead. Listen, my first one has to be the MLB draft. Oh, uh, we gotta change <laughs> it. I mean, here's what I'm saying: they should, they should be drafting in Omaha during the CWS. Because most of these kids are getting drafted, or they're playing in the in the regional in the regional championship games, so these kids can't enjoy their enjoy being drafted by by their teams. You know, last year Jonathan India, who was a fifth round draft pick by the Cincinnati Reds, fifth overall, fifth I mean yeah fifth fifth, fifth overall. overall pick by the Cincinnati Reds, was literally on third base when he finally got drafted, playing in the uh, regional finals. It's not fair to these guys, so we should put the draft. They should put the draft in Omaha, and they in the convention center, the CHI Health Center. And go ahead and draft there the week, the next day after the end of the CWS. Okay, It'd be perfect. That's what I was about to say. You said in during it, which I was against because you said during it happened for India during the regional. Right. So I, I don't agree doing it during. You either want to do it. I don't know. Is there any time you can do it beforehand? You can or, do a couple days before. I yeah. Mean, there's two weeks before. It's like usually I think oh, ten days before they, they come, and it's a big event. It's like a long ten day drawn out event. So you can definitely do it I, either. Look, I'm all for that. I just don't know yeah. if that's the biggest necessity. If I'm, I, I don't know if I'm putting that in a big three in terms of the biggest needs that the Major League Baseball needs to change. But I do agree that is, you know, that's that's, for the that's kids important sake, for the kids' sake. I think about in the, M- in the NBA, you get to be at the draft and you hear your name called. NFL, sure. you're at the draft, you hear your name called. In baseball, these kids don't get to hear their names called. They can't be at the draft with their families to celebrate their accomplishments. These kids have worked super hard to get to where they are. They should be at the draft to be able to celebrate with their families. It almost feels like they value their high school prospects more just because of they tend to be the better ones. You know, you see the likes of a Bryce Harper or whatnot. I mean, the high school prospects tend to be able to come out quicker as far as like coming from um, high school to the pros, but they spend a ton of time in the minor leagues. We're seeing now that college players are becoming faster, fast track to the major league baseball because they have that kind of experience that high school players, high school players might spend 
two years in single A ball, just getting acclimated to that kind of new system. So I mean, it's a, it's a pros and cons, but obviously you're gonna see like Hunter Greens and stuff like that. They'll have the first two, three round pick, first two or three overall picks, but then you see college player, college player, college player, college player. So they're not really seeing the same as like maybe 10 years ago when you saw high school, high school, high school, high school, all all 32 picks. They're seeing much more college players been taken in the top in the top five picks. Look at the kid from Casey Casey Mize from um, Auburn. Prime example of that. I, I think it's Auburn. If it's not Auburn, I apologize to whatever team he played for. <laughs> I don't want to get yelled at. So <laughs> no, you're good. No, I, no, I definitely feel feel that's a fair argument. Regardless if it's worthy of a top three spot or not, it's still a fair argument. Uh, my first one, I've kind of changed my list ever since I sent them out to you. I, I I felt like there's maybe something a little bit more personal to me as a fan than anybody else, but not necessarily calling it a pitch clock, but like make a move clock. Like I, I get tired of watching these slow rolling. Like I don't know. Think of your most obvious example of a pitcher that goes slow um lester lester's yeah lester's yeah. a clear one and especially with him trying to decide whether or not to go out and throw it over to first base it is so boring like it's so hard and my top three i tried to think of things that would appeal more to the younger audience that were trying to get more into the game of baseball and a lot of the arguments you get from the younger generation is that it's too slow it's boring you know it takes too long i think what i heard a stat all last year i can't remember the actual time of the statistic but it's one of the longest eras of baseball between at bat starting to ball put in play wow so we it's, so it's, I, i'll find the number for you next week but i know jensen lewis from sports time ohio and fox sports was talking about it last year the time from start of at bat to ball put in play i believe it's almost close to like three minutes now that's it's it's ridiculous. That's yeah. my first one. Yeah, because I have uh, I have a few pace of play uh, things I was looking into as well. So uh, in my research of that, uh, the pace of play, uh, I want to say it was like it was over three hours uh, for the for the last five years. It's been over three hours, and that was the 2014 was the first year that was over three hours for uh, average nine innings of uh, baseball. Um, and then I thought this was also interesting too. I believe it was 1938 was the first year that the average pace of a game went over two hours. So really? I, so I mean, it's it's expedited a lot more. Um, anyway, I'll continue on. I mean, uh, well, we got some comments before we move on if I can. I, I'm just gonna say, listen, I think the pace of play is definitely a good idea, definitely a good measure of that. I just don't want to hinder pitchers' ability to get into routines and have their make plays so it's kind of a give and take let's start slow and build up to something that's going to be quicker we can't just say let's go ahead and implement this now because it's going to yeah. it's going to hurt their pitching their pitchers that's fair go All ahead right. my second pick i want a uh, a consistent strike zone slash larger home plates i want a bigger strike zone uh because i think that way you'll see more strikes more balls will uh you'll either strike out looking or you'll uh put the ball in play and then uh, obviously that would equal more outs and that would expedite the game a little bit. And as far as the consistent strike th strikes, and I don't know if that's just something you need to sit down with home plate umpires and just be like, look, you need to figure this out. We need consistent, a consistent strike zone here. Because I, like, I'm not a fan. I was like, oh, this umpire, he likes the ball outside. Or this umpire likes it inside and low. Like, I, I understand that's the hum human element, but like I want more consistency with that. So I don't know if the solution is, like I said, either talking with the, all the all the umpires, be like, look, figure this out, or if that's going the route of having a uh, electronic strike zone. No, I mean, I mean, I'm not a fan of that, but I mean, if it comes to it, like I, like I said, consistency. Baseball has been a game of, of you know, guys sitting in a spot on the corner back to back times, and 
he's hitting it for three innings straight and he wants to go out inch over, umpires going to give it to him. I mean, that's just how baseball has been forever. And guys know that. I mean, obviously you have, you have missed calls and stuff like that, but you can't have that. I mean, come on. Yeah, so uh, my second take is I want to see dual contracts to be able to go from the AAA to, to the pros without having to use an option or what I think I forget what's called exactly. Tito Francona would love that. Um, but being able to send players back and forth, I think would be would be able to let guys in AAA get some big league experience without having to use a what's it called an, an option. But yes, yeah. I think that's a slippery slippery slope because. <laughs> You have to have some bylaw in there where you can't just allow guys to send 33-year-olds down to the minors whenever they're not performing, like a Jason Kipnis. Like, you got to have some reason with that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're right, but I think they also... I think of, like, the G League and what they're doing in the sure. NBA. Having guys have dual contracts where they can kind of play in the G League, play in the NBA. So they're not NBA-caliber players exactly Oh, so yet. you want to limit it to dual contract guys. Right, some, Guys right. that are working up. Yeah, like so that, seven, yeah. Like five guys. Five guys that can do that back and forth. I don't hate that. Yeah, because uh, like I said, that's the key point that what you you, you spe- specified that because if you know you, you may just the wild west, yeah, no. <laughs> you're sending a guy that's hitting 200 down and say, you know what, you need to go spend some time down there. <laughs> we might not see you until August. Yeah. <laughs> no, like five or six guys max that can kind of do that both back and forth thing. No, that's fair. My yeah, yeah my number two is I, I understand the complaints about the idea of it, but I, I like a spending floor. I feel like we need to implement some type of spending floor to get teams to urge to spend because if not, we're going to consistently have this issue with our free agents that aren't signing until probably middle of spring training. And I understand there's a difference between Tampa Bay and Boston in terms of what they can spend, what their market is, what their attendance is. Well, first off, put a good product on the field and watch how that attendance does. Second of all, you can do a rate, like a percentage of revenue should be their yearly you know, spending floor. And it's adjusted each year based off their fiscal year. I believe that would be a more promotive way to get the league more competitive. Because, you know, fans get tired of watching, the, uh, no offense, but they get tired of seeing the Red Sox, they get tired of seeing the Yankees, Dodgers in the, the World Series every single year. Because get they, good. Yeah. Well, the problem is, is that some teams, they, they, they feel like they can spend less and still make a profit, which is the issue with the owners. This rule is attacking the owners like the Dolans that don't like to spend money. I think that's fair. Why would somebody be fine with that? Um, for my third pick, uh, this one uh, was floated around uh, last year by one of my roommates, uh, Luke uh, Luke Bachman. He's a uh, proud listener. Uh, anyway, <laughs> he, he uh, said that uh, he brought up the idea. So with replays, obviously they can be a little bit of a drag. Uh, he floated the idea that if you uh, you just give like either 30 or 45 seconds per replay, if you can't figure out whether or not to overturn a call, leave it as it stands. It's amazing because all sports should be like that. Yeah. If it takes you that long to find, oh, his cleat lifted up the bag just a hair on this frame. If it takes you that long to figure that out, then just just the let it stand. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, that's what, Bunny, what you were talking about earlier, how you like the, the human element. So I think I'm fine if there's a very blatant missed call. By all means, yes. But if you're if you're splitting hairs here and you have to take 90, 90 120 seconds to figure that out, that's too long. Because then you also have the time where the umpire has to walk over to the to the clubhouse and they have to show them the tablet and just this long process. I think it should just be one umpire at each home stadium for every home game, just in charge of replays. Give them 30, 45 seconds. Have a set number per replay. 
And then if you can't overturn it, then let it stand. No, I, I completely agree with no, that. I fair. think it keeps the human element. Sorry, Saints fan. It keeps the element. <laughs> hey. It keeps the el soon. human element of sports in play, which I feel like is it's an important factor. People don't want to admit it, but I believe it's very important to the viewership, to the game in general, and just I don't I don't know. I, I just feel like it's natural to have some natural aspect to the game. Yeah, there's human element and there's cheating like the Rams did. <laughs> I'm just saying though. <laughs> it's not cheating if the refs cheating's if you do something. The refs Same. didn't do anything. Yeah, the Rams didn't the do Patriots anything. Patriots kind of refs that game. Uh, last one I think for me, not really to do with it. It's more the media thing than more so than baseball. I want to see more of these double A and triple A games televised on national TV. I think that these games are, especially double A games. You got so much talent on there that are, that are just playing their tails off, and they're not getting any kind of limelight. I think it would help the with the um, their salaries, especially because they're making they're making dirt money at, at that level, trying to grind them up to the major league baseball because they have no kind of they have no ad revenue, they have no TV revenues. So I think just showing those games, and I'm not saying every day, but I'm saying you know maybe take a couple once once a week you highlight a team in a, in double A or or triple A or single A. And give them some, give them some, some clout. If that, you will. I mean, that, that has good value to it, but you have to take in consideration these TV deals and whatnot, and you know the money that goes into it. Why make your argument to those TV companies of why they should pay to put that product on their their channels? Because it's the summertime and no one else is nothing else is on television for sports wise. You got basketball ends. There's no football really. It's it's just baseball. I mean, in baseball every day, yes. But you could take a day on ESPN, like a Tuesday or, or a Wednesday, and show a game in Double A. It wouldn't hurt that. It wouldn't be that big of a deal. All to right, hurt here's my revenue. here's a better question. What type of outlet are you looking to air these games? Because a CBS and ABC, these big networks, are not going to air that because it's not going to no, get views. But there's a thing called ESPN Plus that could definitely air these things. Oh, I believe ESPN Plus should 100% get it. They get into it with college basketball. I was walking Akron versus Kent State the other night. That's what like I'm saying. Was, yeah. But you should get these guys some clout over there. Because I'm telling you, it would be high down south. I mean, I remember, you know, Oklahoma, or not Oklahoma, I'm sorry, Arkansas baseball fans, they love they love following these guys. Ole Miss baseball fans, you put down there in Ole Miss, hey, you know, we got Casey Mize pitching for Auburn. He's pitching for double-A team for the Tigers. Watch the game. You'll probably have a 1,000, 2,000 people watching because it's they all love them down my, there in Auburn. My last question to you on that is, the essence of ESPN Plus is that they they pretty much exchange excuse me they exchange contracts with the small TV corporations that air their games in their local right, right. their local uh, establishments. Are, is there enough TV broadcasting in local areas for those games that ESPN Plus could pick up on? Because ESPN Plus and ESPN as an entity is not going to go there and just air the games. It's I think they have to pull feeds from the local sources. So no, that's that's the question. That's kind of a dual thing. Is that there's not enough not enough feeds to air these things, which means you have to have more more energy put in those places. So whether it's the MLB saying, hey, we're gonna highlight these guys more, let's give a million dollars a piece. Each organization give a million dollars to say, let's highlight these these teams or these uh, our clubs to show them off because these guys are gonna be the future of the MLB. I mean, we we heard about Guerrero, Guerrero. Guerrero? The junior. Junior. Yeah. Vlad I mean, Junior. Vlad Junior. Yeah. We heard about him all year long in double A. You didn't hear about him in the majors but, this year. Yeah. Just wait. <laughs> but we didn't see one game of him play. You know, we saw videos and clips of that. I would love to watch a game of him playing it in double A, see how he is. See how he bat how he bats. What he does sure. up there strike out. This is stuff that we want to know. And so I think that would be great for the fans, at least in double A, 
where all the talent really lies in double A. I love the idea. I just think there's a lot of hoops to hurdle hey, in listen, terms of in not, terms of the local level. It's not easy, that's for sure. For, for sure. But one thing we do all agree on, the MLB has plenty of money to where they could fund it. <laughs> oh yeah. They oh, could. Yeah. They could pay for this. No big deal. Uh my third and final one, it's not really a change, but I want to put some type of bylaw in that can't be removed that says you can never change the rules to how shifting is done and how shifting is allowed or not. Because I am so tired about this this generation of baseball fans that are so upset that people can shift and move into different spots. The Astros, everybody loves to hate on the Astros and how they operate. I love it. You know what? Don't hit it there. I, I mean, you you saw hit it, with, it the other way. Yeah, Joey. Yes. I mean, we at one point we actually saw Joey Gallo start to bunt down third baseline because you know he, he was getting on base for it. Hey, listen, wait back. Stop pulling the baseball so much. Hit left field, no big deal. It's like people don't want to be punished for their tendencies. I, that's the part of sports. That's what sports is. You're supposed to take advantage of your opponent's tendencies. Hey, listen, you have to have great fundamentals. And the yes. shift exposes your inability to have great fundamentals. Right. I 100% agree with that. Because we're, we're in this era of baseball where it's, you hit the long ball or you're hitting it the one side <laughs> of the field and you're just pulling it. And it, you know what? If you put all nine guys on that side, chances are you're getting them out. Like a Joey Gallo, yep. like an Edward Encarnacion, like it's, it's frustrating to see fans get mad, at what the essence of sport is. Right. No, hey, I, it's competing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really glad you brought that up too, because uh, I, I that was one of them I was weighing on, and uh, just a little stat last year about the shift, on uh, 17.4% of all plate appearances had shifts for a league-wide batting average of 248, which is the lowest since 1969. Wow. When the average time for uh, nine innings played was two hours and 38 minutes. That's a great stat. Get that's that's amazing. It. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. That was one of our better ones yet. All right. When we come back, we will finish up our show, Ways That the Browns Will Win or Lose the First Round of April. And we might even dive into the Sands for Old Bundy here. Final segment of the program, Muni Lawn Druckards, CB, Zach Metzl, Big Bundy. We want to get into a new topic here. It's how do the Browns win or even lose the 2019 NFL draft? I'll let Zach start. Zach, what do you think, first off, just give a quick synopsis, and we'll dive into the details later. How do they win and how do they lose? Uh, I think I'll start off by uh, saying uh, saying how uh, they can lose the draft, just because I think that's the easiest to address. Uh, that's just overreaching for a guy that may not even uh, necessarily plug any of the holes that they have. Uh, but, I mean, other than that, I think there's a lot of good things that they can do with this draft. So I, I'm pretty excited to see, uh, see John Dorsey's mind at work here. Um, I think they win this draft, and in the first round, I definitely would uh, go defense here. The Browns were the 29th of 32 teams uh, for total defense, and uh, they average, on average, they gave up 393 yards a game. That's almost 400 yards. And then uh, their rushing defense was uh, 27th of 32, uh, over 135 yards per game. And pass defense was 257.8 yards per game, which is 24th out of 32. Uh, so I mean, overall, uh, it was not. Uh, 
it wasn't the best uh, defensive showing statistically, although they did uh, what did keep them in a lot of games early was just the amount of turnovers that they got. But, I mean, you can't really rely on that. And uh, so I think going defense defense first would be the uh, best way to uh, win this draft. I think uh, I think you're absolutely right. For the Browns, at least, they need a defense. And not just say any kind of defense. They need a strong front seven. Because right now, they don't have anyone up top besides Miles Garrett. And that, and that core front four, that's really rushing the passer. They need a defensive tackle. And Ed Oliver, Oliver, maybe, if you can trade up to get him, it would be a life-changing play for them. Besides that, though, they also need a tackle. So if you can't get a defense, go get a tackle. Because please, for the love of God, save Baker Mayfield from getting hurt. I agree with what you said, but I don't agree with trading up. If he comes to you, you take him at Oliver, of course, but I don't think he's a guy I'm trading up seven, eight spots for. I, I just don't see it. Because, it. because, well, here's a way of thinking of it. I think I can get someone of his value for at 17. Then I, It's a better situation than getting him at trading up for eight, at eight, nine. And the problem is, is a lot of teams are going to be trading up because I feel like it's one of those drafts where the quarterback isn't supreme, but you're going to be seeing a lot of trading up to get those top guys, like a Haskins. I mean, if Kyler Murray commits to the NFL, he could be another name that gets put into that. Daniel Jones, Drew Locke, Will Greer. We've seen crazy things happen. My only concern with taking a chance at moving up to get Oliver's, I, like I said, I feel like there's somebody you can get there at 17 you'll feel comfortable with, but there's always that concern of the patchy past. And I say that because my guy that I'm looking at is Jeffrey Simmons, the defensive tackle from Mississippi State. Now, it was pretty clear. It was a big ESPN news. When he committed to Mississippi State, he was a big-time recruit. But the issue was is that he had, I believe there was videotape of him physically assaulting a young woman right. when he was back when he was 18. Yeah. And that's why he's not being invited to the draft. I'm sorry, the NFL Combine this year. It's It's one of the reasons why he's been barred from it. And I understand why teams will want to pass. It's this big mantra where you you look into people's past and you decide, oh, he did something bad then. Do I take him then or do I wait? Do I pass on him? You know, we had the same situation happen with Joe Mixon. He eventually went to the Bengals. You know, he found his team, and it's worked out wonderfully for them. Uh, my concern is I just from following Jeffrey Simmons in his college career, I never really saw anything pointed his situation to me that that was something that defined him. That was something that it is who he was. It was one of those things where he made a bad, a really bad mistake and decided to move on from it and make himself a better person. I mean, look at Larry Tunsil. I mean, yeah. for his sake, that's a prime example of someone that made a terrible mistake when they were 18, 17. It came out. He fell 10 spots. He's playing... He, <laughs> He's killing it down there in Miami right now. Right. Yep. And, well, the thing is, you're not hearing his name, yeah. which is like it, it, it works out for him. But I think a weed situation versus a domestic violence situation, they're, they're, not they're completely different. different. Big difference. I mean, big, big difference. difference. But I'm still saying they're both bad mistakes, and they're bad things. One's way worse, but they're still bad sure. things. And you haven't heard him being, getting in trouble since that mistake. Yeah, he did something terrible when he was 18. Yeah. He's now 21. You haven't heard a big, a big problem from him since then. Also, another guy they can come and get is that kid from Michigan. That tackle from Michigan, also a pretty good player, too. I, I'm thinking of a linebacker. Devin Bush is a linebacker. That's no, I think they have a tackle as well, too. Don't they have a tackle? That's pretty good. From Michigan? Yeah. Uh, Rashawn Gary, but he never really had a pass like that. No, no I'm saying 
just a player that they can come get that's pretty good, a pretty good ball player. I think Rashawn Gary's going to go a lot higher. While I don't think he should, I think he's going to go a lot higher than what the Browns are drafting right now. Maybe. But back on Simmons, yes, everybody can agree. He made a terrible decision in his sense. He's, he's kept his nose clean through college. And Very bad mistake. He, yeah, he made a bad mistake. But I brought his name up because the GM of the Browns happens to be the one guy that's taken chances on these guys in the past and it has worked out. Some have, some haven't. You know, uh, Tyree Tyree Kill is the prime example of someone who did something terrible in his past. Took him in the fifth round, took a chance on him, and it's worked out. Now, I haven't heard any issues about him since he's no, risen he's to the scene. Kept his nose right. clean. Yeah, he's kept his nose clean. From everything I've seen, he's done that. So this is a GM that I think he will see Jeffrey Simmons fall to 17 and say, yes, I know he's had this incident in his past, but I'm the type of guy that loves to bring these guys in and rehabilitate them. I mean, he did that last year with Antonio Callaway. That's what I was about to say, Callaway. Yeah. Callaway's doing what he's doing. Again. Great, I don't know. Great. His thing was like credit card fraud and then a bunch of weed violations and whatnot. Right. But it's still, we're talking about something that's on a different sphere in terms of magnitude. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons, he's overcome it. And I believe what he presents on the field makes him worthy of a first-round pick. It's just going to be the mindset of a GM looking at his name and saying, do I take this first-round talent in the first round or do I wait until later when I feel more comfortable taking him? If I do. And if you don't, some teams will have him completely off the board. Yeah. And you know what? You cannot blame them. That is their thought process and how they want to work because it's such a hard issue to, to, to dive into. But... If the Browns take a chance on him, I have faith in John Dorsey that he would do everything in his power to provide for this kid to be on the right path. And while we're at it, he's a pretty dang good football player. I mean, he's already showed it, I think, in three years. He's had his nose clean. Yeah. From what we see. So he's shown that he's kind of been rehabilitated, that he's acting the way he's supposed to act. And when he was 18, he made a dumb thing. Again, when we're children, when we act as children, when we're children, we act as children. And he's acting like an adult, adult now. So give him a chance, interview him, see what he says in the interview. Ask him about the questions that you have to ask him and see what happens. Give the guy a phone call. Say, hey, tell me the story what happened. Uh, yeah. What's I, happened since then? Yeah. How have you changed? Can I trust you to, ch- to be my team, be my program? Yeah, I love. but from an on-the-field standpoint, there's so much to love about this kid. I mean, he's a, he's a disruptive three-tech. You could even throw him at the nose if you wanted to. He's a guy that you could stick on that front four, pair him up with Ogba, Larry Ogunjobi and Miles Garrett, and you have a solid run defense right there in the front four. You would have to build on that linebacking court later in the draft, but that's that's a hell of a way to start a draft. If I'm if I'm yeah. sitting here with my unbiased opinion, you need to start with someone that's going to clog that middle, or you need to get a head start on your wide receiver core. I believe in this draft, you would need to get at least two impact receivers, <laughs> whether that's taking a guy in the first round like a DK Metcalf, Nikhil Harry from Arizona State, and then getting somebody in the fifth round, like a Miko Hardman from Georgia, Andy Isabella from Massachusetts. You need a tackle, though. Yes, I understand that, but we survived last year, and then also to uh, barely. No, well, here's the thing. I, no, I would I disagree with that yeah. because uh, Freddie Kitchens, ever since he took over the offense midway through the season, we had Baker got sacked. What he? I know he went like at least like four or five, maybe even six games where he was not knocked down at all. So I mean that was a big difference from uh, from had, when Hugh from, was from week was it week eight Hugh got fired yeah. to the end of the season. Yep, Baker had been hit half as much as the second least amount team, which was tied between the Patriots and somebody else. 
So, I, like I said, yes, you do need to tackle. And offensive line depth in general, not just tackle, but also guard, inside linemen. They need to build that. That's one of the biggest parts of this draft is they need to build depth, mm-hmm. regardless of position. Like that, That's huge with this team. But I also want to say it's not a huge tackle, offensive tackle draft, to where you need to feel like you need to take one of these guys like a Yandy Kajust from West Virginia or a Dalton Reisner from Kansas State. Like these are good players, but I don't know if I'm taking my 17th overall pick and taking them. I could take them in the second round. I, I'd be fine with that. My second or third round pick, I'm cool with that. But with this first round pick, you need to hit somebody that's going to be that impactful right away. And I don't know if these guys and this Cody Ford, all these offensive tackles that are on the board at this point are doing it for me. You need a hundred bivens. And, and I don't see one this year. Well, here's another thing. I'm I'm seeing I'm seeing a lot of people Talk about the chance of, of the Thorpe winner, the Thorpe Award winner, yeah. DeAndre Baker falling there. And I'm talking, you're seeing the number one corner in the draft following you at the 17. Is there an opportunity where you take just the best guy available because you need depth? And cornerback's a spot where you can never have enough good corners. I mean, you might need a corner because you never know with that, with uh, Denzel Ward and that head problem. So you might, you gotta, you know, we never want to see someone get hurt, but good to have a little bit of depth there if you can get him, if he yep. falls there. No, I, I I definitely agree. And then, uh, I mean, just with Denzel Ward, he's just undersized. I think it's his biggest issue. And then uh, Greg Williams said multiple times last year he just needs to learn how to tackle. Cause, I mean, trying going up against college wide receivers and going up against uh, NFL receivers is big difference. Definitely. Big difference. Definitely. I, I believe in terms of my structure of how I would rate how the Browns need to attack the draft, first round is worrying about Best player available for your big needs. Yep. Defensive yep. lineman, defensive tackle. If if Jeffrey Simmons is gone earlier, you know, you can go take that tackle, and I would be more than fine with it. Mm-hmm. You got to take that. In terms of the rest of the draft, you have one in the second round, two in the third, one in the fourth, three in the fifth. That's where John Dorsey makes his money. I'm seeing right. a pattern here. He likes to pick up on those fifth-round picks. So you got that. You got one in the sixth and two in the seventh. Now, obviously, these picks are not going to be the same on draft day. It's you know they're trading at least once. Every team does it in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. But in terms of my biggest offseason needs and ranking them of how they need to be addressed in the draft, right now I I would say number one overall. I'm I was thinking defensive line. That was yep. my first. Definitely. Second was offensive tackle. Third was wide receiver. But tackle and receiver are very tight. I I do not think I would have an issue if they went and said okay. Uh, Dalton Reisner sitting there in the second round. I could take him, or I could also take a, I don't know, fill-in-the-blank receiver that's going to be there available. Riley Ridley for six. Like, I, I would not be mad if they went one or the other in that position. So wide receiver slash tackle would be there. Uh, next, I would go cornerback. Never enough. Uh, safety would also help. You, uh, I mean, yes, I would love to think that we're going to sign Demarius Randall long-term, but he is entering his option year, or his fifth year. So you never know what you're going to be faced with after that. You need depth at that position. Do you go ahead and trade for a receiver? No. Yeah, I don't I, think we I, need to. No, I, I don't feel like the NFL is not set up to where you just need to be going around trading for receivers. And I've seen people talk about, well, go get Devontae Parker. I'm like, well, what has Devontae Parker done to this point that's worth, I don't know, would they give a fourth-round, fifth-round pick for him? Mm-hmm. I, Kenny Stills, I, I mean, that's Kenny fine. Stills. Kenny Stills, come on now. I mean, <laughs> I mean— what would you rather do? Would you rather trade a fifth-round pick for Devontae Parker or do you see Andy Isabella's name show up in the fifth round and say, hey, that's a guy I can throw in the slot and he can be my next Julian Edelman for the next 
eight to ten years. I could see that, or I could see someone going to get the kid. One of the guys from uh, Green Bay. They've got a handful of receivers out there that pre- pretty good ball players. Well, I see. I don't think Green Bay's gonna be trading receivers. If anything, they're gonna be adding to it. No, yeah, I'm just saying if you wanted to go get a receiver, that's how to go get from Green Bay. They've got four of them that they can probably spare one. No, but I think they want to build those guys, but they want they want to add on to the room. I don't think they're expending wide receivers. No, you. Like, I, I don't. I don't think they're going out and giving. Uh, Equinemus, uh, I can't even say his first no, name, yeah. St. Brown, <laughs> and Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Like, I don't think they're just parting ways with those guys. No, you got to pay for them. Not I, I, see, that's not the team I'm going to if I'm trying to get a receiver. <clears throat> and even then, I'm not suggesting that the Browns should go do that. And I, I think it's just a whole lot simpler just to go pick up two, three, four wide receivers in this draft, see how they, uh, see how they work out. Because, I mean, also, too, I think it's uh, with when you get younger guys. Well, if you have uh, veteran guys like we have uh, Jarvis, then I think it's uh, – I feel like it's better to bring in a college guy and have, like, Jarvis just kind of mold him in his mentality. Whereas you go out and get a veteran guy, then they've already – he's already got his mentality made up. So, if I mean, I feel like there's a chance for conflict there. Whereas if you're just the young college draft pick, then, okay, yeah, you're going to look at Jarvis, you're going to see the example that he sets, and you're going to try and follow in his footsteps. All right, real quick. We already just covered on the winners. How did they lose? Uh, losing is definitely just uh, just overreaching for players, uh, or just addressing something that um, addressing something that isn't necessarily at the highest priority list. Um, and then also too, obviously, there's no way to tell. But and in, in hindsight, if you look back on this draft, just be like, well, we drafted this guy, and then oh, he got hurt, or we had like a history of injuries, or okay, say if we trade up or say say if we get uh, Jeffrey Simmons and then uh, he has like another off the field issue then that the, again that is a loss uh I mean obviously it's hard to tell uh, and predict someone's uh mindset right and how they're gonna go out and do that but I mean that's a loss because obviously there are signs of that happening and then if you just choose to ignore it or you don't think that it's that important um then obviously that would be, be a loss too I agree I think a loss infers that you're stretching on a guy Maybe even a wide receiver. I mean, we saw it with Corey Coleman. They took him a lot earlier than oh, yeah. most people were expecting. So don't stretch on players. Right. All right. It's our new favorite segment. We're going to call it, Oh No, Honey, What Are You Doing? Oh, gosh. Zach, I think you have a pretty good one over there. Let's start with your story. All right. My story that I found uh, going down to the great state of uh, great state of Florida uh, it's a tale of young love that I think we can all uh, all relate to. We were saying earlier how everyone does something uh, stupid uh, when they're younger. Well, Especially he- in Florida. Oh, exactly. Yes. Every headline starts with Florida man, Florida woman. Florida, Florida is, as Charlamagne God always says, Florida, I can't, I don't find you, you guys find me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here we have a uh, 14-year-old Florida girl. Uh, she ordered two pizzas from Papa John's to her house. The the delivery driver got, shows up. Why well, Papa John's? <laughs> why Papa John's? Well, why two pizzas? That's not the story. Keep on going. Uh, so she sneaks around the house as the delivery driver's at the door, steals his car to go uh, visit her boyfriend. Uh, the... Um, the father of the girl uh, said that he sent the cop text messages of her and her boyfriend talking about robbing people and all that. He then uh, then ends the story with the quote, she needs an ass whooping. That in jail. <laughs> well, that's Florida for y'all. That is Order two pizzas, amazing. steal the car, go see your boyfriend. Oh, what do you want from Florida? <laughs> well, 
I think you can guess where mine's coming from. Florida. Florida it is. Florida woman attacks, allegedly attacks her parents for not taking her to Outback Steakhouse. Quote, I'm going to kill you. I heard so, the story. Some, some people will do anything for coconut shrimp. On Wednesday evening, a Florida woman allegedly attacked her parents because they wouldn't take her to dinner for Outback Steakhouse, a popular Australian-themed restaurant. Deanna Seltzer, 28, was charged with one count of simply battery domestic, one count of battery on a person 65 or older, and two counts of aggravated assault. Uh, police arrived at the Lake Worth home to find glass dining room table flipped over, shards of glass shattered throughout the area, and they also found a 12-inch decorative knife laying on the kitchen counter. Supposedly, it was hanging on the wall, and she threatened mom and dad with it. Uh, according to Seltzer's mother, Deanna became enraged when she was asked to go to dinner to Outback Steakhouse, and she told her no. She allegedly punched her mother with closed fists on her chest and arms, and when their father tried to intervene, the 65-year-older man, uh, he reportedly received multiple scratches to his face and upper body. Seltzer also allegedly grabbed the knife and lunged at her father, yelling the famous line, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Seltzer is now out of jail and listed for bo- or paid bond and is out. Boys, <laughs> could you name a restaurant that you would threaten your parents to kill them if they didn't take them to? Ooh. I mean, <laughs> come on. I mean, I, I, I'm a uh, no free ads, but I'm a uh, big, big Canes guy. Uh, but I, I don't know if I threatened to kill over that. <laughs> yeah, no shot. I mean, no restaurant worth that kind of that kind of foolishness. I, I uh, <laughs> be better, Florida. Be better. Be better. Yeah, you gotta be better. Come on now. That's the thing is, Florida can't. They don't know how to be. It's, it's just too well, easy. It's in the blood. Well, actually, no. I, we can argue that it is better. Okay, so here we just had scratches to a guy guy's face. That's a little bit better than uh, the bath salts eating uh, someone else's <laughs> face. So we're going. We've gone from eating faces to scratching faces. That's slightly improved. You know, I, I've always been looking for jobs or retirement ideas of moving down to Florida, but every no. more, every story I see that starts with Florida man, Florida woman, I start to become less and less likely to do that. Not I mean, you see the story last week about Taco Bell? No. Man found a man found a bomb in the and he was in the water from World War II, a grenade from World War II, because he was he was looking he was going metal surfing whatever, looking for some kind of metal. Found the found the grenade. Put it in the uh, back of his yeah. pickup truck yep. and drove a Taco Bell. Well, and well, then called the cops. There's so many questions like, why? Well, <laughs> why is the first question? Well, he's hungry for some tacos. Yeah. He won that Nacho Bell Grande. <laughs> yeah. I can't argue I, with the man. We all have our uh, we all have our needs. Yeah, I I know we all have our needs, but come on, <laughs> have some reason to it. But <sighs> well, he knew it was going to be a long line of questioning from the police about where this grenade <laughs> come from. He's like, you know what? I'm going to load up on tacos here. Yeah. I would be set before I have to go get interrogated. Well, it was another good episode. I really appreciate Bundy you coming in. Oh, we, thanks we for having really me. Appreciate boys. you having thanks me. Thanks for having me. We'll have to have you on more often. Yeah, for sure. I'll come back and talk about Saints football, talk about Boston Red Sox, talk about college baseball, whatever you guys want to talk about. Yeah. All right. For on behalf of Sal, Big Bundy, Redis, Zach Metzel, I'm CB. We will talk to you next week. <laughs>